Hello, and welcome to the Season 4 finale of Sight in the Tone, and our retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 4, Episode 22, which is titled A Hole in the Heart. The episode aired on May 14th, 1998. Lauren, what was going on that way 23 years ago? Well, since my birthday never falls on these season finales, um, little Lauren turns six on the 23rd of May. So, baby Lauren, let's put it in perspective where where I'm at on the whole show chronology. Um, But as far as headlines go that people actually care about... Do people really, though, at this... With these two? I don't know. But Mercedes-Benz buys Chrysler for $40 billion and forms Daimler-Chrysler in the then-largest industrial merger in history. Neat. Cool. Okay. Um, That's what happened. That's why they stopped making LeBarons. Okay, cool. The U.S. and Japan impose economic sanctions on India after India conducts five nuclear weapons tests in three days. Not great. And Deep Impact, directed by ER alum Mimi Later and starring Taya Leone, Robert Duvall, Morgan Freeman, Elijah Wood, Lili Sobieski, 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 I know nothing, John Favreau, (laughs) Mary McCormick, Vanessa Redgrave, along with ER alums Laura Inez and Ron Eldard, debuts and easily takes the number one spot at the box office. The movie made $41.1 million over the weekend, while the second place movie, City of Angels, only took in $4.7 million. Damn. Not since uh, Titanic have we had a SmackDown that large. How far away are we from Armageddon? Because I know those two came out very close together. Uh, I think that's going to be one that we discuss in the season five premiere as a summer. Over the summer. That makes sense. As an over the summer movie, unfortunately. I just have to say, I love that we're kind of getting a summer break in our recording. That like we don't have a full season break, but that we're having our week-long vacation in between. And then we are going into season five. I think that's really fun. (laughs) Um, but then wrapping up with Too Close by Next remains the number one song. You know, after one of the, after one of my favorite movies, it's, you just go to the most boring thing. <laughs> Do you want to watch Deep also, Impact soon? Well, potentially. We're, we're supposed to watch it. We've been supposed to watch it for a while now. Yeah, for patreon.com slash Tone podcast, our movie reviews. We're supposed to watch a lot of things. Yeah, we keep it's getting just, distracted. Because, yeah, we got, we got three three er connections in that movie and it's also just a great movie it is a good movie so you want to know what else was on that night crush me daniel what's on i hope you like seinfeld because i sure do other than er that is it uh everybody and i mean everybody gets the hell out of the way for seinfeld the finale so they had two hour long blocks here uh, from eight to nine, Seinfeld ran a uh, clip show, and what I believe is like a—I wasn't a hundred percent sure from reading the synopsis on it, but I think they did like a little like behind-the-scenes-ish interview type sh- show. So the the clip show is only half of that hour, um, and that raked in fifty-eight and a half million viewers for just the clip show portion, like just the like the schmaltzy bullshit portion of the event. Uh, that outdrew ER by 11 million, just that part. And then at 9 p.m., the big event, Seinfeld, the finale, the final episode, parts one and two, so it was an hour-long finale, a whopping 76.2 million viewers tuned in for that one. 
uh, to watch Jerry and the gang say goodbye. Uh, a, a finale that at the time was obviously we, we talked about this a little bit last week. It was a huge event on the order of almost like a Super Bowl. Like it, it kind of ground the country to a halt a little bit. There were people watching in Times Square on the big screen. Huge, huge deal. Um, and I would say at the time it was regarded as a not great finale. Like it was regarded as they kind of ended with a little bit of a wet fart. Do you guys do you guys know how it ends? Yeah, with them in prison, right? Yep. Yeah. For because they're horrible people, so they watched an accident happen and didn't report it. Yep. And what's interesting is that for a lot of people who were only casual, well, I won't even say the casual fans. I would just say people who were aware of Seinfeld and didn't watch the episode. The narrative for a long time, I would say almost until the rise of season DVDs and stuff started coming out, the uh, the kind of popular culture narrative surrounding the finale of Seinfeld uh, was that they did a clip show, which is not true because the clip show was the hour before and it was a completely separate thing. The finale itself is actually its own uh, unique episode and it just... The, the re- I was reading some reviews of it from the time and like people were basically saying that it was too much Seinfeld like it was too the the because that was the thing with Seinfeld they were always kind of terrible people but the finale kind of turns that up to a degree that is almost irredeemable mm-hmm. so that kind of and and even the cast it seems like have gone through peaks and valleys with their opinion of it as well like Seinfeld has gone on the record a few different times kind of going back and forth some sometimes when he talks about it he's happy with how it ended other times when he talks about it he's like yeah we kind of dropped the ball on that one so but who knows in reality when it's a show about nothing and you've had this many seasons of just great ridiculous iconic pop culture things how can you stick that landing right yeah it's an impossible it's kind of and and i will say too you know i read a few modern reviews of it too and i will say it's it's much like the sopranos it's a finale that has only the opinion of it has only improved in the years since because a lot of people hated the sopranos finale when that aired too and that's kind of i I, myself included i wasn't happy with the sopranos finale when it ended now having rewatched it a couple times since i love it it's one of my favorite series finales of all time i this makes me wonder if the game of thrones final season if it will never be loved it will never be loved but i wonder if as people like me start to go back and re-explore the series as a whole Mm -hmm. at least the the film the um tv series because the books aren't done yet but dweebs like me that are finally rewatching the tv series it makes me wonder if i'll at least view it with much less vitriol right than i initially did. sometimes but you this... need that you need a little bit of separation and from it a little bit of hindsight but um, yeah. this is sad because i'm not gonna have any more reminders on how much i need to rewatch seinfeld after this i know it's all in the rearview mirror now so yeah I mean, this is truly the end of an era here i mean this is the this was the big show before er and now it's ending, and I believe, if I remember correctly, I think it's Frasier that is taking over the coveted Seinfeld time slot. Because Frasier has already started, it's just on a different night, but it will be moving into the... That That was a big thing, too, was like, who's going to take over the Seinfeld time slot? That was like a, a huge debate at the time, and I believe it's Frasier that takes over that, so we'll see that uh, with the Season 5 premiere. But getting into ER, as I said, 76.2 million viewers tuned in for the Seinfeld finale, and 47.7 million stuck around at 10 o'clock for ER. Uh, and that makes this episode the highest rated episode in the entire run of the show. This is number one Damn. out of 331. Um, 
The live episode from earlier this season, I believe, was at around 42, maybe just under 43. Uh, Hell and High Water was around 42-ish. Like, 42 was kind of their ceiling um, up till this point. And to be perfectly honest, they never come anywhere close to this ever again. Like, this is this is far and away. The, it's not like there's a couple out there that are 45, 44. No, they may not even crack 40 ever again after this. Really? Yeah, like, there's, like, I was looking and, like, it seems like around 6, 7 is where things really start to dip below 30 consistently. And then by the time you get to, like, 9, 10, it's like now we're starting to dip below 20 consistently. So it's And the world was changing and how people consume television was changing. So it's not... Uh, entirely surprising um, but it's, it is interesting that like if you were to ask somebody a blind taste test what do you think is the, the highest rated ER episode of all time I don't know that anyone would name this like this is not one that would I mean it's fine we'll, and we'll get into it as we talk about it but like I, I just it shocks me that this is the episode that is the highest rated one of all time but of course you need that added context of a lot of people probably just fell asleep watching the Seinfeld finale and left their TVs on well, so <laughs> and what I find really funny about this is it's like you know, we talk about like, oh, these are these are piddly numbers in comparison, whatever. But like, the Game of Thrones finale, which is the biggest thing we probably right. have culturally to compare it to. You want to know what that drew in? Oh, I would guess probably twelve million. Thirteen. Thirteen. Roughly. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. it's like that, and that was the most united we've probably been as a pop culture in forever. Yeah. And that was only thirteen million. Yeah. Yeah. It does it? It does really put it into perspective just how much things have changed. But yeah, 47.7 million tuning in for this week's episode. Uh, this one's directed by a uh, first-time-in-a-long-time director, not a first-time overall director, Leslie Linka-Gladder, doing her third out of 13 episodes. Previous ones of hers we talked about were True Lies and And Baby Makes Two. And this week's episode is written by Lydia Woodward, doing her 15th out of 27. Previous one of hers from this season we did was Something New. And our previously on is brought to us by Jeannie, and we're going to open this season finale with uh, pretty much right where we left off at the end of last week's episode, like literally almost to the second. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an elevator ride in between. Oh no! Uh, we're, it opens with uh, Carrie and Doug coming off the elevator right at the from the end of last episode and arguing about the propriety of what he did. That is not fair, Doug. You never let me do this in the ER, no matter what I told you. Yeah, you didn't even have the ability to monitor it. EKG, pulse ox, end title CO2, and invasive BP with radial You never got consent. Said from who? A mother who chugged his methadone? DCFS would have followed through if you let someone else do their job once in a while. The child whose development is already stunted? Been expecting you. Your desk clerk called up a minute ago. Admit orders? There are none. Here's everything you need right there. Start him on labetalol, titrate 0.5Q5 minutes to a diastolic of 60. Hey, Doug. Alexander Babcock, pediatric anesthesiologist. Harry Weaver, acting chief of emergency medicines. Josh McNeil, seven months old. Hypertensive this and opiate withdrawal. This boy was born addicted to heroin. His mother's been stealing his methadone. I put him on an ultra-rapid detox. Wow, I've heard a couple of those being done across the country. And you but... know, it's still an experimental procedure. BP's not bad, 150 over 90. This boy needs to be stabilized and put back on methadone until administration and legal can review this case. What did you use to induce it? Ketamine. It was stabilized in the Narcan for the detox. Propofol's better. Yeah, I agree. We just didn't have it on the ER. No, but we got it up here. Kit, let's DC the ketamine and start them on three migs of propofol and then 150 mics per kilo per minute. You're continuing with this? The approach seems medically reasonable, and if it gets the boy off the methadone... You cannot perform procedures on children without permission. Dr. Ross may have gone overboard, but it seems in the best interests of the child to complete what's been started. Who's going to be on for the follow-through? I am. I'm off work till tomorrow, so I'll stay. Okay. Excuse me. 
Your actions are totally irresponsible, dog. You've broken every rule and regulation we have in the ER. Whatever happens sure, here won't change Make that. sure that this boy gets a decent shot at a normal life. I don't care about your rules or regulations. Well, I hope you also don't care about it being an ER pediatric attending because you've just given up any chance of that. Is that future, spoiler alert, for future uh, mercy killer himself, Dr. Babcock? <laughs> uh, yeah, that, I, I guess, I, I, have we seen him already? I'm not, I, I don't know. Maybe, if, maybe I, fleetingly. Yeah. I, now I feel like I want to look He's ne- I don't think we've ever heard his name. That could be it. Because I feel like, I feel like we've seen him, um seen his face before but i couldn't remember if this was his first uh first on-screen appearance or not but i love Mm -hmm. that they start this uh they start this episode with the ding of the elevator like there's no soundtrack or anything right away it's not until the, the the ding of the elevator and then the door is open that then the score comes rushing in and it's like we immediately dive right back into the chaos from the end of last episode yeah, and I love I love you know Carrie dressing him down and then him immediately talking over her to the to Doctor Babcock. There's going to be a lot of uh, Carrie having not quite. I, my initial my initial voice thought was having her ass handed to her, but then not exactly mm-hmm. like of not getting her way. Right. She's we'll definitely Okay, now I remember this. Okay, this th- now I remember why I thought we talked about him before. It's because we did talk about him in our group chat, uh mm. but we ah. didn't we have not seen him on screen before. This is his first appearance, first of 19 appearances. And the reason we talked about him in our group chat is because through the ER Facebook group, we learned that uh this is Mr. Carrie Weaver in real life. Uh David oh. David Brisbane. Uh, who appears in a bunch of other things. He's kind of a, a little bit of an oh, hey, it's that guy. He was in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, uh, twin, the Twin Peaks movie, uh, Leaving Las Vegas, uh, Aaron Brockovich. I recognize him from the kids' show Hey Dude, where he was the dude ranch uh, proprietor or whatever. Uh, but yeah, so this is his first on-screen appearance. Cool. God, when does he, when does he have that storyline with uh, Corday? Is that, that season seven, season eight? That sounds about right. Okay, it's that guy. Yeah, it's got the it. guy. Spoiler, spoiler, nope, nope, spoiler. I got it. Spoiler. I got it. Okay. Got it. Okay. Yep. When you said it, I first okay, didn't make it. If you get it, then I'll mm-hmm. then I'll leave it. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Okay. Um, what? No, just got it. Do you want to talk no, about? No, no, I don't. But, but I more. I just meant. Oh, him. Okay. Got it. Um. But yeah. So I just. It's a great way to intro. And with that, we are in with some bangs. There are absolutely no twinkles this season. We are 0 for 22. It's because there's no Susan. This is where I'd put my twinkles, if I had some. (laughs) Yep. And then we go over to Connie, who is waking Mark up in the on-call room at 7 a.m. And we find out Carrie is still snoozing in exam four. And Lydia and Randy are curling in the hallway (laughs) with Jerry, which is just cute. And um, Celebration of the Olympics. Yep. Fitting for weird timing. Yep. Current current situation. And Mark mentions that he needs to schedule a meeting with Anspa, so asks if Randy can figure out Anspa's hours available. And then we go over to the L platform where we see Lizzie and Benton talking about their date from the night before at the Velvet Lounge. Uh, sounds like she had a great time, but of course he was pretty sober. Uh, they uh, let's Chicago. Not geography, but Chicago nerds. Uh, do you want to weigh in here on their their obsession with the L schedule? 
I mean, technically there is one for <laughs> off-peak hours, but during the time, 7.10 in the morning, that's during, you're using rush hour timing, so it's not, mm-hmm. you're not going to have a, spe- necessarily have a specific 7.10 in the morning train. Mm. You're going to have, like, one every you'll, 10 have like a, you'll have, like, a 6.10, a 6.20, a 6.30, or etc cetera, etc cetera. even those are unreliable right but then after that it starts to run every like eight to ten minutes yeah then you'll have you'll a expect. huge yeah you'll have a huge block of time where i'll say depending on the line you'll say every four to five minutes every eight to ten minutes every 11 to 15 minutes etc hmm. so so for him to name a specific like oh the 710 at that time of day it's just a little odd yeah little seems perfectly kind of up peter's uh, anal, re- anal retentive alley a little bit to be concerned with the l schedule when nobody else is also fun fact i was at that i was i passed through that stop because i actually use the purple line which hey. is one of the lines that services the stop that they always use uh, and benton is uh having to go pick up reese uh at carla's for daycare and uh we get a little bit more background on their date from the night before that uh she requested a song uh from the performers and he was embarrassed about it and she kind of scolds him with being cool seems somewhat limiting, which is just a such a British burn. Like, it's such a polite burn. Uh, but then we go back to the ER where we see Carrie getting freshened up in the bathroom after waking up as Lydia briefs her on the day's patients. And then uh, let's go into our next audio for this episode. Uh, Mark is, finds Carol up on the roof, and he has an extra coffee with him. Carol, I thought you might want to refill. Oh, I just got one, thanks. It's supposed to rain. You want to talk about last night, Mark? It's very serious what Doug did. You mean what we did, don't you? I think people understand that it's the nature of your job to assist a doctor when they ask you. I was there because I wanted to be there, not because Doug asked me. Sure you were. Doug can be pretty passionate about these kids. Give me a little credit, Mark. What do you think I am, some fresh-faced nursing student under the great doctor's spell? I'm only saying... Legal and administration are going to be going over every detail of this case, and I'd hate to see it reflect badly on your record. So you're saying I should fudge my involvement? Tell the truth. Tell them you're doing your job. Nurse assisting a doctor. The truth is I insisted on being there because I believe Doug was working in the best interest of the patient. And that's my job. Every bit as much as it is his. I gotta get back. Way to go, Carol. Yeah, I love how she's like, do you think I'm some doe-eyed nurse? (laughs) Like, give me some credit. Yeah, I'm a big I'm girl. not an idiot. I was involved. I like Mark yep. uh, up on the roof looking like the uh, brawny towel mascot with his plaid jacket. A plaid, I love a, his plaid a, a jacket. Plaid, Don't even. A plaid jacket that I want you to keep an eye on because it will make another appearance later in the episode on a different character. Really? Yep. Huh. Maybe it's just a popular jacket in it, it looks like the exact same jacket. <laughs> like, it looks like they just took it off Shh, one of them and put it on the other. I also noticed, I think she has a Krispy Kreme cup. It doesn't matter, but I just noticed it, so I'm going to share it with you. I mean, it matters because there's a well-established relationship between ER and Dunkin' Donuts, and if they're cheating on Dunkin' Donuts with Krispy Kreme. We haven't seen the Dunkin' in a while. They've outgrown them now. You know, it's, yeah. they're, they're in the big leagues. Krispy Kreme is, they got that Krispy Kreme season four money rolling in, so. They name-checked Starbucks recently. They but... did, yes. Yeah, so. Um, but then we go, Delamico is rolling into work with Max. I'm going to say it like that because I hate him. <laughs> and it's also our friend's uh, friend of the show, Drew, who does our theme, has Themes, a cat yeah, named Max. Theme song composer, Andrew M. Edwards. <laughs> Max 
beautiful, beautiful old, old former diabetic kitty. Old Tuxie. I love him. Um, but Delamico is geeked because she got to ride in the front L car with the driver. And she's like, all you have to do is ask. No. Max suggested. Do you, do you need a reminder that this show takes place before 9-11? <laughs> Things that would not fly just a few years after this. Pretty sure there's like four different types of locks on that door now. Yeah, you can see that in the, um, when they had the driver cars in the main, like, train setup, the ones that aren't being used. So those half of the car, you know what I'm talking about, Lizzie? Yeah, you can see where all, like, the locking mechanisms and controls are, and it's just, it's insane. And also, like, tell me you've given up on this character without telling me you've given up on this character. Right? (laughs) When her, like, her big, like, to-do for this episode kind of is, like, I got to ride on the big boy train. Like, it's, like, very... It's like, oh, man, how the mighty have fallen here. This is... This is rough. I mean, to be fair, honestly, if I had the opportunity to do such a thing, I would totally be geeked about it, but that's just because I'm a, I'm a huge You're stand. a transit nerd. Transit nerd. Eh, eh. It works on so many levels. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. <sighs> Moving on. So we get our first big patient of the episode, Carrie examining a gentleman with cold hands and poor circulation, Mr. Wass. Uh, played by actor Roger Robinson, uh, who's starting a theme here that everybody in this episode, uh, except for one in terms of patience, everybody in this episode except for one is dead uh, in real life. Oh. <laughs> Mr. Was oh. here. Roger Robinson played uh, in such stuff as Brother to Brother, Kojak, and Newman's Law. He will actually be returning to us twice more in season seven as a different character. Um further putting Troy Evans rule to shit that you can only play one person one time on the show <laughs> that that has turned out time and time again to be bullshit but that's okay, okay we still love fair, you, a lot of these a lot of these people were before his time that's true that's true I'm just saying we still love you Troy but it's bullshit uh and uh Mr. Robinson here passed away in 2018 as I said all of our all of our like main patients this episode with the exception of one are all now dead and it's very strange um and from there, we see Carrie uh, talking about, says her, uh, she has an AM meeting with Anspa that she's going to, that Mark is, of course, very interested in because he wants to kind of debrief about the Doug situation. But she assures him that this meeting is not relevant to Doug uh, and that she will ask for a meeting with the three of them about the Doug situation a little bit later. Now, I thought she was lying through her teeth here at first. I did until I saw her physical demeanor change in the very mm-hmm. next scene like you can see that she kind of puts on the like professional carry uh mm-hmm. a, not attire but like posture and everything like she's clearly in suck up mode there so uh i kind of knew what it, what was up at that point but yeah I, I i could see where you would get that impression from this uh then we also see corday getting a letter from romano's office and based on her reaction it does not appear to be good news we will find out more later Ruh-ro. Got to manufacture some drama for her. Um, then we go up to the daycare center. Reese's, uh, Reese's getting dropped off by Benton. And the daycare worker asks, hmm, asks if Reese has been responsive because it's hard to give Reese's attention at mm. daycare. And asks if he has hearing checked. Hmm. 
So I'm sure it was purely coincidental because this is a small ch- baby and, you know, toddler and, and they're notoriously fidgety and notoriously, you know, probably difficult to work with in a production like this. But it seemed almost comical at a certain point that they were going to great lengths to obscure baby Reese's face here. Like he was always turned away from the camera or he had his hat pulled down in front mm-hmm. of his face. And because I was like, I, I was determined to find out were we getting the first appearance of real Reese like the action because up till now of course we've had like either baby dolls or just random infants and of course we know Reese will become a a recurring character with the same actor all the way up through teenage years Um, but no they they did at the very tail end of the scene they did finally get a shot of uh, Reese looking at the camera or looking in the direction of the camera uh, and it's still the same Reese that we've had all season. We have not had real baby Reese show up just yet. But I have to assume he'll be with us to start season five. Because that storyline is coming down the pipeline hard and fast. Yep. Cannot wait. Yes, insert sex joke here as I said that. <laughs> <sighs> get, get him out of, get him out of your system me. now. It's the season finale. we got to get him all. I know. Lauren loves me. We're, we're wiping. But we already had season four, episode 20. We're, so we're, we're wiping we're the good. slate clean. Lord, give me strength. So then we go from there to our next patient, Carol, cleaning up a gentleman with a lacerated hand uh, who's he, – he's talking with her about how he I... never meant to kill himself. Oh, yeah, it, it, it reached down into his wrist. They're, they're bandaging his hand, though, when okay. they do it. Um, but he says, I, I never really meant to kill myself. Basically, he dropped a glass of orange juice and saw – picked up a shard of glass impulsively and cut himself with it because of a fight he had with his wife. As you do. Totally normal behavior. Nothing alarming sure. about this at all. Totally fine. Uh, also, if that glass had orange juice on it, I can't imagine that would make it feel any better. Oh, I bet that stung like a mother. Mm-hmm. Ugh, get that citrus citrus juice going into your open wound there. Gotta just, love it. Just think of if you had made, like, infused stuff in your coffee maker before you fucked your thumb. Why? Why would we bring it back to that? Did, did, did to... anyone need to relive that? No, no one needs to. Lauren, <laughs> if I'm on. If I'm uncomfortable right now, everybody else has to so our pa- I already am uncomfortable. Our patient. Everybody else. Okay. Our patient here, Mr. Nabel, uh, who is our one and only, uh, as I said, kind of featured patient here, who is still with us, uh, actor Michael Rispoli, who appeared in stuff like The Rum Diary, Kick-Ass, The Sopranos, and Volcano. Did you recognize him from Volcano, uh, Lizzie? I did not. I can't remember. You're Dante's Inferno girl. You, I'm both. <laughs> oh, you're both. That, Dante's that also Peak, tracks. you mean? Or Dante's Peak, Dun- sorry. Not Dante's Inferno. But. They are both excellent in their own. It's, it's just as Deep Impact and Armageddon both have their enjoyable qualities. Okay, wait. Can I get this pop quiz? Dante's Peak is the one with Pierce Brosnan. Yes. Yep. With the small community. Yes. Yep. Where... The people boil in the lake. Yep. Specifically, okay. grandma boils in the lake. Let's let's yeah. not forget. Well, no, the the skinny dippers do first, and then grandma. Um, they aren't in the lake. They're in a hot. hot they're in actual hot spring. Okay, but still, you got that. And then volcano is Tommy Lee Jones. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Don Cheadle. Stop! Stop! Don Cheadle stopping the lava with buses and cement. Yep. And curing racism by everybody being covered with ash. At the yep. End. There it is. Got there it. you go. Lauren's got it. Everyone give it. Everyone give yeah. a round of applause. Standing to ovation. I want everyone at home to stand up off their couch right now and give Lauren a standing ovation for knowing the difference you between can, Dante's Peak and Volcano. You can tell how many times we've watched both. Just. <laughs> I live with somebody who loves disaster films. So, look towards Chicago and clap. We will hear you. So, 
so Mr. Rispoli here uh, in Volcano, he was Gator, who was the uh, guy on Tommy Lee Jones's demo team who uh, sacrificed himself at the end to... Oh, it's that guy! Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. He had okay. like an air, air conditioning unit or something fall on his I leg know. and he's trapped. So he's like, I'll, I'll spark the bomb. Get out of here. Oh, okay. I was thinking of someone completely Why? different. Why in every single one of these movies is there always somebody who gets a leg crushed or like a rib broken? I, I know the guy like, you're I'll... thinking of, Lizzie. The guy, the other, the guy on the train who's like, which we had yeah. him. Uh, no, we didn't have him. We had the guy he saved in a previous episode. We had the no. Hispanic uh, train uh, conductor who he saved. The, we had him in a previous episode. The guy on the train whose name escapes me is actually an American Horror Story. But who has one of the funniest deaths in any movie ever. It's the so guy. fucking hilarious. It was slow, like... Just like tracking down into the, it's we've the, talked entirely too much about volcano and no, Dante's no, no, no. It, no, it's it's the screaming, the ah, ah oh, and then die, <laughs> and then dies. Oh god! All right. He was also really scary in Zodiac. Yes. Oh my yes. god! Yes. Oh, I love that movie so much. Anyway, so now it's back to me. Carrie it finally goes up to talk to Anspa for her meeting, and Doug is coming out of a meeting with him and a couple other department heads as she's going to go in. And Anspa says, oh, Doug Ross called an emergency meeting to fill us in on the circumstances of what happened with the Josh McNeil kid. And everyone's like, yeah, you know, it was extreme, but, and there's going to be some repercussions probably, but he did the right thing coming to us right away with the facts and letting us know. Carrie is pissed. Yeah, this is absolutely a scene where you need, like, I was going to get the audio of this as, in addition to the clip right after it, but her facial expressions enhance it's, it so much that you just need to watch it. It is peak Laura Inez. Like, I know we give um, Ellen Crawford a lot of credit for the for the flavor she gives Lydia, mm-hmm. but oh my God, go watch this. It's a, it's a little before the 11 minute mark, and it's just, yes. She's so good. And yeah, everybody's like, you know, Doug did a really good job under the circumstances. Like, round of applause for Doug. Everybody pat his back because he's a privileged white man. If you have subtitles on, it'll say internal screaming the entire time for Carrie Weaver. She is uh, boiling. All right. So let's listen. Let's go to our next audio then. It's the the other half of that conversation. But just with Carrie and Anspa. Don, I don't think I need to tell you that Doug Ross's actions violated every policy we have regarding patient care. I know, and there'll be a full review in QA. It may not go so well for him, but uh, I must say, he's certainly there for his patients. Anyway, I'm sorry this has eaten into our time. What is it that uh, you wanted to talk to me about? Well, uh, as you know, when David Morgenstern had his MI last fall, I took over as acting chief of emergency medicine. And you've done a fine job, Carrie, with the exception of that little Ella's West Synergix fiasco. With Dr. Morgenstern having resigned, it seems appropriate for me to now step up and be chief of emergency medicine. Well, the department is running quite well, and we certainly owe you a debt of gratitude for jumping in the way you did. Well, I think everyone's responded to my authority, and there shouldn't be a problem with a simple change in title. Well, I'm glad to hear that you'd like to be considered for the position. We will, of course, be doing a national search for the best candidate, but uh, I'm happy to have you throw your hat in the ring. A national search? County policy, as I'm sure you know. Excuse me. Don Anspaugh. I feel for Carrie entirely too much right now with how my work has been going. I just... It's a little too close to home. 
the the I think everybody has uh, responded very well to my authority and a simple change in title won't matter. Uh, yeah, I. Mm-hmm. How's that promotion going, Lauren? Heavy is the head that wears the wears the middle management crown. It's not even middle management. It's, it's like management. it's it's like quarter. It's not even management. I'm not even a team lead. Heavy is the head that wears the supervisory crown. I'm not even a supervisor. I have no authority. I just. Uh, I'm a sub. I'm a subject matter expert with no authority. That's essentially what it comes down to. But it's great. Thanks for asking. Uh, <laughs> but no, I I adore I adore Carrie here. This is exactly like this is the level of of business Carrie that I love. Where she's not exactly being bitchy cutthroat. No, she's just she's just being a hard ass professional here, and she's just going for it. This is very season two, Carrie. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Like, is that what it feels like? Where it's like she's yes. got that that kind of awkward flavor of like, yeah, they're gonna respond really well to this, and it's pursuing my my career goals, and just yeah, like C- Carrie, read the room. I, and I like seeing little glimpses of that too, like that she isn't just this like Iron Lady exterior. Like yeah. there there is still this like part of her that is, um, you know, she's confident in her own abilities, but there is still that sort of just like professional desire to always be the best and always improve and everything and like you said not in a super cutthroat sort of way but just in a kind of like very human very real very you know we can all feel we can all put ourselves in her shoes at one point or another i love when she's like national search right like like her heart just breaks i have to compete with with a national search like it's almost like because you're a a a public hospital that you have to follow pretty strict I, know, I like how uh, Antspot 2 is like as I'm sure you're aware like this is company or like this is hospital policy as I'm sure you're aware like he throws Liz- it right Liz- Lizzie is queen of game pass Carrie is queen of policies this should not shock her it should not come as a surprise Carrie why does it matter if I'm queen of game pass <laughs> it was just a queen of statement okay and so... but you are okay so. so from there we see uh Carol going up to the pick you to check on little baby Josh and that must have been one heck of a stressful meeting for Doug in Anspa's office because he is passed the fuck out mere seconds after we just saw him having a full conversation with Anspa uh but Doug is uh, going to be extubating little baby Josh here shortly and him and Carol have a little heart to heart here about him whether or not he did the right thing and Carol re- reassures him that she believes he did and little baby Josh is stable and good to extubate. So, all right, gamble paid Yay. off there, Dougie. Yay! Um, and then Lizzie is looking for Romano because she has to give him a piece of her mind, but he is nowhere to be found up in surgical. She's asking Shirley, and Shirley tells her that he is to a he is at a head and neck conference in Costa Rica. To which Lizzie's like, he never goes to conferences. She goes, I don't know, maybe he's just getting drunk. Oh no, he doesn't. He goes to conferences. He just doesn't go to head and neck. Conferences. My bad. But I just. Oh, you think you think a man like Romano doesn't love going to getting all expenses paid trips? To, that's fair. To foreign destinations. I just love how much Shirley we've been getting. We have been getting quite a bit of her over the last like the last three episodes. episodes we've been getting yeah. a lot of Shirley. It's been great. We learned she has a husband couple other little things and yeah. i just i just love shirley coincide with when does her interview come out uh she will be in the september slot on patreon i believe or no which, no sorry she'll be in the august slot on patreon september on the free feed which 
great interview. Yes. Just just a spectacular to to. lady to talk to and has such a cool, unique perspective on her time on the show that I don't think I, I don't think we would have otherwise heard or otherwise understood. Like I have a whole new appreciation for her character and characters like her. You know, like not quite not quite an extra or a guest star, mm-hmm. but not quite a full blown cast member. Yeah, it, it, she just brings a really unique perspective to the whole thing, and I can't wait for everybody to hear that one. I feel like we're going to talk about this every time we start talking about Shirley. But my, oh my god, it's so good! My brain just did that to to the like not yet a girl. I knew or not, yeah. not not a girl, but not yet a woman. I'm glad I could help. Uh, but then Mark is bringing Max up on the situation with the baby, and Max is like, "Oh yeah, Doug Ross already filled us in." <laughs> Like, yeah, I already know. And uh, Mark is shocked because this is where he finds out he wasn't in the meeting with everybody. That Doug didn't bother to bring him in on it. I like I like that this sort of becomes a running joke for a little while. Like, people going around and being like, did you hear about the whole thing? And they're like, oh, yeah, Doug told me. Like, Doug has told everyone in the hospital what happened. Like, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a smart move on his part, though, to, like, get ahead yeah. of it a little bit. Like, for, well, form your own narrative about it. It it does remind me. This, this kind of goes along with one of the lessons that one of my earlier bosses told me which was if you're going to fail fail small and if you're going to make a mistake own up to it right away before it snowballs yeah do not do not let somebody else find out where you screwed up more so than they already have good advice cover your ass let me go back over to check in with our wrist laceration gentleman as that's that's just what we're is calling it, is him. it mr nabel yeah, mr nabel, mr. nabel. Okay. Uh, Psych is down evaluating him and he doesn't want to stay. I mean, to be fair, yeah. That's. (laughs) Have you been? Even if you are cuckoo bananas, you don't want to be admitted. Yeah, have you been into a psych ward? It's not the best. Not the best thing in the world. Um, And Carol's pulled his records and he's been there several times in the past year and they think maybe he's just depressed. To which the the offhand joke of, well, if it's just depressed, you know, that would be half the city we'd have to admit. Yeah. Nothing a little mental health crisis can't fix. I'm going gonna, gonna to bet that's at about 75% these days. So we go. For, we actually stay there at the uh, admit desk uh, where Carter is thinking out loud about rethinking his ER residency because he's starting to get bored, uh, to which uh, Green replies that he will take the – that Green, uh, Carter should take the coma patient in four. So that's going to be kind of his – central patient for this episode uh green genie and i believe delamico get pulled away Mm -hmm. uh, because of an incoming trauma two elvis impersonators have uh crash landed into lake michigan on their uh they were like jumping out of a helicopter or something and their parachutes got tangled one one was yeah some it was something weird like that it's a a very weird little comedy beat patient here that doesn't really go much of anywhere it's really just the visual joke of two elvis impersonators being brought in at the same time um, I did like the, uh, I believe it's uh, Olbus as they're coming off the, the ambulance says, mm-hmm. uh, pick an Elvis, any Elvis. Mm-hmm. So we have a young Elvis and an old Elvis here. So we'll we'll get some, and we'll, we'll see them in a little is, bit. Wasn't one of them black too? No. No. I don't believe so. I'm, I don't know where I, what I was doing. It's a very we kind of this blink and you miss it. Uh, yeah. He was wearing black. He yeah, was wearing, he was a, black wearing a black jacket. jumpsuit. That is. Okay, whereas the other one was in the full Elvis yeah. garb. Uh, and then uh, Carrie's uh, blood clot patient from earlier uh, needs an anti-clotting medication to not risk the same issue happening again. This will 
create another little carry crusade that we will talk about in just a little bit. Yep. And Mark pulls her aside to talk and um, Mark's like, well, did you know that that Doug Ross meeting this ha- happened this morning anyway? Like you told me that you were going to schedule it and it already happened. And Carrie goes, well, nobody told me either. I just walked in on it. And they go into the yellow trauma room with Junior Elvis. And I got a note whose films are those. While Anna and Jeannie are working on Senior Elvis, as I am going to call them, and Carrie is pissed at Mark for always letting Doug get away with everything, and she says, you close your eyes and hope these things will disappear. Well, guess guess what, Mark? This one isn't going away anytime soon. Two things about this. One, uh, I love how, like, sort of jaded Mark is that when he pulls Carrie away and they start walking towards Carrie doesn't know that the Doug thing is what he wants to talk about right away, so she's like, what do you got? And he just kind of offhandedly, dismissively is like, yeah, a couple of yahoos dressed as Elvis jumped into the lake, whatever. Like, that's yeah. my fi- like the, the just the way he like dismissively talks about this objectively very weird drama that is happening right now. That is very funny to me, the way he deadpans that. And I been there, done there. Seen right. Everything. He's like, yeah, 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 whatever. Thursday. Uh, <laughs> the other thing I like is that uh, once he starts losing this argument with Carrie, that's when he starts being like i don't think we should talk about this right now and like starts this, this asking the nurses to do like random shit he's like let's repeat that blood pressure like and you can tell they know this he's isn't the this isn't the place yeah. only once he starts losing the argument does he want to do that uh and then we go check in with that coma patient that carter's looking in on um his name is bill and he was diagnosed with uh, 14 months ago with a brain stem i'm gonna fucking butcher this glio glio yep. Glioblastoma? Yep. Glioblastoma. Nailed it. Tumor on his brainstem. Um, he's been having some visual disturbances and other some other minor things happening, but, you know, this is the first time he's ever fallen into a coma. Mm-hmm. So you would hope that's the first time he's ever done something like that, but, you know, who am I to judge? <laughs> we all need a nap. And his his wife here, um, Mrs., Mrs. Lang... Uh, played by actually and who is listed as our guest star for this episode by the way hmm. Uh, hmm. played by actress carrie snodgrass who appeared in movies like diary of a mad housewife pale rider and wild things among many others and uh continuing our grand tradition of our mainline patients this episode no longer being with us she passed away in 2004 what the hell yeah um and i don't remember if it's here or in the next scene where they have but she mentioned something about opening the windows to get a little bit more airflow going into the room. I would like our medical listeners to confirm for me. Like, I was under the impression hospital windows don't open. Like, at least not on like the ER level. They might up in patient rooms where you can like maybe wheel them open to a certain extent. Yeah, like that just seems but... like something that would be like a one hundred and one kind of thing. Like, we're not gonna let safety yeah, hazard. Th- yeah, all sorts of bad things can happen. Yeah, I just thought that was curious. Uh, but then we see uh, a social worker, Adele, who has showed up with uh, Josh McNeil's mother, who has uh, suddenly reappeared. Uh, but we'll, we'll circle back to her just a little bit later. Uh, Benton is ordering a hearing test with Reese. Hmm. Wonder what's going to happen with that. The plot thickens. Uh, but before he can get all that set up, he gets roped into an uh, MVA trauma. And Doug and Carol don't know. So we go back to little baby Josh and Doug and Carol don't know what Adele told the mother about Josh's condition and what they've done. So they're trying to bring her up to speed a little bit here. They're not quite sure how she's going to react. And 
Doug says that little baby Josh's prognosis is good. They have every reason to believe he'll be able to catch up developmentally. And uh, surprise, mom asks Doug if he can do the same thing for her. Mm. Plot twist in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then Randy runs in from the rain uh, to bring him lunch, including a patty melt for Jerry, <laughs> of course. Uh, Just a uh, cute little admit desk moment. I loved that. Yeah, but, I loved it so much. But uh, Carrie's claw patient is back. His insurance won't cover the medication she ordered for him. Otherwise, it's uh, it's $500 without insurance. So $833 adjusted for inflation because I was curious. Pedantic moment here. Uh, would he have turned around back that fast same day to come in and tell her that he couldn't pay for it i mean it's quite possible it depends on i guess where the pharmacy was yeah where the pharmacy is and if you went straight there they can usually figure that out before they like fill it especially for something like like, blood clot i would think she would probably have left him with instructions to like you will get this medication today and you will start taking it today or else you will start you could potentially die i i just know while i've been waiting in line for my meds at walgreens half the time people are like having that conversation at the counter and it's just Mm -hmm. but then uh, Carrie goes over and advises Carol to document her participation on the Josh McNeil case as soon as possible to cover her own ass. And Carter checks in on Mrs. Lang again. Um, MRI is backed up so they can't get Bill in for scans yet. And Mrs. Lang says, you know, his doctor said we had longer than this. Then we go back up to the surgical floor. Ann Spa is, doing, is performing an operation with Benton and Corday. Uh Starts with, it starts with the audio looks like an avocado. What? Yeah. It, okay. So when they're, I have to explain this because apparently I can't write legible notes. <laughs> when the, um, when they're first transitioning up into that scene, like as you're panning into the surgery doors, mm-hmm. the operating room, the subtitle and the audio that first picks up is looks like an avocado. Like they're talking about the gallbladder or something. Oh. But it was just such an odd way to transition into them working on this patient it's not immediately into the relevant dialogue it's anspa like i think he's talking about what whatever they're working on in there and he just goes looks like an avocado interesting and i just thought it was interesting yeah so me being pedantic and weird and picking (laughs) things that don't matter to anybody else but anspa's quizzing the uh, the other two on uh, medical procedures as they work and corday asks anspa if she can continue a sponsorship if she can continue uh, like a is it a fellowship? I think it's a by fellow. A, a sponsored fellowship, I think, yeah. is what it really is. What it is, yeah. Um, but through Anspa instead of Romano, um, and Shirley was and Shirley was like, if it's just some, if, if it's just staying in America, you want you could always find some Joe Schmo to marry you. Uh, Thanks, Shirley. I love Shirley. And also Benton's floored because this is where he learns that she's lost her fellowship. Dun dun dun. Her yeah. sponsorship. Yeah. So then we go back down to the admit desk where Carrie is uh, continuing to argue for insurance benefits for her patient. Good on you, Carrie. Fuck for profit healthcare. Uh, we then get our next patient coming in, Louis Palmieri, uh, end stage renal failure patient, and uh, we see our kind of our I would say probably our third, maybe even fourth tier paramedic working on this one. Like he's not the usual um, Doris or. Um, Pamela or even the white guy mm-hmm. uh, Dunbar this who also mm-hmm. gets actually I, I, I think when the MVA was coming in earlier he actually gets name checked by Benton uh, Benton actually says Dunbar what do you got which is one of the few times that character ever gets called out with his actual name um, but this one is uh, one he's only been around like 
maybe half a season, maybe since the beginning of this season. He hasn't been around very long, but he's like the third or fourth tier paramedic. And he's got a very interesting voice. In the way. And they really focus on Yeah. Him. Yeah, <clears throat> like usually when when the paramedics are doing the bullet, like they're usually spinning the camera around the room, and like you're just hearing the paramedics give it, and you're not necessarily they're focusing on them. This time, like they actually like kind of follow him around the room as they do it. Yeah, so it was a little weird. different. Uh, but the patient here has a woman accompanying him who's very distressed, uh, and she mentions that she drops by his house, quote unquote, a couple of times a week, uh, and we presume that she may uh, be a sex worker which will be confirmed. Uh, and speaking of which, uh, as you might imagine, the patient here, uh, Mr. Palmieri being as elderly as he is, I would assume that actor has probably passed away. But what you might not expect is that the sex worker has also passed away. Uh, and she passed away more, uh, I guess, more sooner after this episode than almost anyone else. Um, so Myra is the character's name. Uh, and she's played by actress Gina Mastro Giacomo, which is just a name. Just a, an excellent name. That's what? That's a made-up name. <laughs> Gina Mastrogiamico. Uh I mean, all names are made up. Oh, shut she up. She appeared in stuff like Goodfellas, The Naked Gun, Two and a Half, and The X-Files, uh, and she passed away in 2001 at age 39 from a rare bacterial infection of the heart. Huh. So, yeah. Gone also, way before her time. So then Carter tells Miss Lang that the tumor is creating a blockage that is causing intracranial pressure, which is causing the coma. And he says that if if they go ahead with the procedure that might remove it and clean it up, um, he'll have very little time and a lot of pain and potential respiratory issues, or he can stay the way he is and die peacefully. Die peacefully, please. Yeah. The the yeah, the uh, wife here though, like she does a really good job of like portraying mm-hmm. the internal conflict here though, like where she's like that that desperation in her voice where she's like, but he'll wake up again, right? Like I can see, yeah. we, he can hear me, and like we like we can talk that yeah. bargaining, yeah. yeah. The way she's like, because she's not, I wouldn't say she's in full blown denial, but she's just like, she's just struggling with it, and it just I don't know. That actress does a really good job with it. And then Carrie runs down to check on Lewis and she passes a little bit of judgment on his friend and just goes, oh, she looks like a hooker. And um, it turns out that while this woman was providing manual release to this gentleman, um, her charm bracelet pulled his Foley cap Uh -uh. out. And that's what caused the rupture and the Uh -uh. bleeding and everything. And Carrie just says, I say give her the body, which is really heartless. I don't like that. I mean... I get that it's supposed to be a comedy beat and everything, but it's just, I don't I don't like think it's it. supposed to be comedy necessarily. I th- but it's, I mean, it, it, what I, I guess, well, she's giving her what she wants. Like she's, she wanted to have the body and the other two. Uh, okay. I, I missed that part. Jeannie. Then. I think it's Jeannie that, and Delamico. Maybe I don't, maybe, whoever else is maybe. in there. They're like, she wants to take the body and, and she, and they're like, well, what does he have? Does he have family? Does he have whatever? Okay. And, I'm I missed that line then. Okay, but she is distracted, so it does come off somewhat dismissive. Like it comes off as just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Give her the stiff. Like, yeah, I don't know. I I must have just missed that bit. But um, then Lydia tells Carter that she lost a vial of Percocet around the drug lockup. Rot row. Hmm. 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 I remember this going a way different place than it actually does. Me too. Does. We will get to that a so, little bit later. Yeah. But this we this apparently get... goes into the same uh, vortex as the um, 
the romance novel from last season. Like this apparently goes into the, the great unfinished plot threads in the sky where they just bring this up and then never resolve it. Yeah. We, well, I mean, there's a little bit more talk of it, but this episode, but for now, let's go back up to the surgical floor. Corday's uh, chasing surgeons around trying to find a new fellowship. Elizabeth. Uh, Peter, I'm afraid I haven't much time right now. I'm trying to catch Langstaff after her gastroplasty. Langstaff? Yes, I've heard she isn't too keen on her fellow, thinking of letting the chap go, so I thought I should get a word in. Well, don't you think you should wait to see if she does let him go? <sighs> no, I think it's a good idea to let her know I'm available. And desperate. Excuse me? Well, I mean, you know, asking Dr. Ansbaugh in the middle of an operation? Well, he didn't seem put off by it. Why are you? I'm not put off. Listen, if it's about me hanging you up in the ER, I'm sorry, and I really appreciate your covering for me. I wasn't hung up. I mean, yeah, I would have appreciated a page or something letting me know about Romano's letter. Uh, look, I would have discussed it with you, but uh, Romano was my first priority. That bastard didn't even give me a reason. He's not required to. He sponsored you. I mean, it's his call. Well, you're certainly taking all this in your stride. I'm just trying to show you that it's not necessarily about you. No, Peter, from where I stand, it's very much about me. You have no idea how hard I work to get here. No, I do know what it takes to get here. Well, then why aren't you being more supportive? Because I think you're going about it the wrong way. You know, you're running all over the hospital asking every surgeon to sponsor you. Okay, so what do you suggest? Elizabeth, you haven't even checked out other hospitals, other parts of the country. I've built up relationships here, or so I thought. I'm not saying I would want you to leave Chicago. No, but you're not exactly passionate about my fight to stay. Whatever goes on between you and I... Peter, there you are. You ready to scrub on that small bowel infarction? Yes, sir. Relationships are overrated. (laughs) Especially when one of the participants is, like, such a stick-up-his-ass, humorless dork. Like, like, (laughs) it's just, like, come on. But have you you seen Eric LaSalle? That's Uh, fair. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know... He's cute. But just, like... My dude, like, she's trying to stay in the country, presumably so that you guys can continue being in a relationship with each other. And, like, he's like, I don't like the way you're going about it. Like, I think I had a dream I was hanging out with Benton yesterday. I don't know. Cool. I can't keep track of my subconscious anymore. (laughs) It's been a week. It's been a year. Yeah, this week week has, (laughs) this week has been a year. What was it? It's been a war of attrition. Yeah, that's what I said in our group chat earlier. That the this entire week has felt like a war of attrition. We've all been going through it at different times and to different degrees. But uh, we go back down to the uh, admit desk where Carrie is still on the phone arguing with the insurance. And I, I want to like give kudos to everyone involved in this scene: Carrie, uh, Doug, Mark, and in just a second, Anna, uh, for playing this expertly because Mark and Doug are arguing at the desk at the same time as Carrie is yelling at the insurance rep on the phone. Presumably as she's doing this, I'm assuming she's talking to no one because I'm I'm assuming that phone doesn't work. Um, So the fact that all three parts of that equation manage to keep their conversation threads fluid and sounding natural and they don't slip up, don't pause. Like they're just, there's a lot of moving parts with that. Uh, interaction and everybody hits their mark and does it exceptionally well um so everything kind of like comes to a halt carrie slams the phone down throws her stethoscope down and is like fuck this i quit uh and it, you, first it's like i quit as being you, you think she's like quitting quitting but then she clarifies and says i quit being you know acting chief of medicine you know let somebody else act for a while 
Um, and so we follow her and Mark around the corner as she's kind of venting about the whole situation. So she's like, I don't know what helps anymore. I don't know. So I quit. And as they're doing this, the fourth part of this equation, uh, Anna does the most amazing duck out behind her going down the hall towards the, um, uh, ambulance bay. Like she just does the the most like pitch perfect, like grandpa Simpson walking into the room and then turning around and walking back out. Her face is so it's, good. It might be her f- best moment in her entire time on the show. Like it might be the the thing that we take away from her as being the best thing because it's pitch perfect. Love it so much. Also, she uh you don't get a super good look at it here, but you do in the very next scene, uh wearing that red flannel jacket that Mark was wearing up on the roof. So she hmm. either has the exact same jacket that Mark does or she stole it out of his locker. Not sure. Uh, but Carter pops out to the ambulance bay to talk to Anna as it's pouring down rain, which nobody remarks on. I was kind of hoping huh. that somebody would have been like, when did it start raining? Well, well, I mean, it, somebody kind of remarks on it earlier because Miss Lang says she opened the window so he could hear the rain. Yeah. But you're right. None of none of the staff do the when did it start yeah. raining thing. Kind of. We haven't had that you, in a while. You would hope to hear that, especially with a Lydia Woodward episode. Like, I feel like, she, you know, she's one of the people who, like, gets the, the tropes. But uh, he talks to her about the missing Percocet insinuating that perhaps Max uh, has something to do with it and uh, she's immediately defensive and not pleased uh, with this so uh, yeah and spoilers they're never really going I mean it we're presumably left to believe that it was not Max but we also don't Mm -hmm. get a like confirmed resolution on who did take it so it's kind of just left to your imagination I don't know. Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is Max and he's just a better liar than I think. I don't know. Like it's this, this is one that I think I feel like gets kind of left as a hanging plot thread a little bit. I choose to believe it's Dr. Babcock. He's stockpiling <laughs> for a couple of years down the line with his storyline anyway. But, uh, the picky anesthesiologist says that, uh, Josh is stable and doing great. Is that Dr. Babcock? That is Dr. Babcock. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't labeled as such. So I wasn't sure. Uh, and that baby is so darn cute. Right? That was very excellent Midwestern of you, by the way. But yeah. Um, yeah, I named him Pick You Anesthesiologist because I couldn't be bothered to keep track of all the names in this episode on my notes, clearly. That's fair. But yeah, that baby's adorable. Yeah. And we wish we had, we, Lauren and I both wish we got more of this Pick, pick You nurse. Is that Nurse Kit? Like the same one we talked about a few I episodes think ago? think so, yeah. I think so. She. It would have been so nice to have her in like Abby's storylines and stuff when we first got Abby introduced. She may like very that. well be. She's definitely in that Shirley category of character where like she was around for quite a while, but you never really gave we'll, her much to do. We'll keep an eye out for her. Um, but then Max finds Anna at the desk and note the amazing AOL screens on the monitors. That takes <laughs> me back. This is right about that time. Um, he says he's still digging through charts to like audit for his recommendation. They go into the lounge together and he says he might stay in Chicago if they ask him to run the department because typically when he does these recommendations, most hospitals will ask him to stay on and run it. And he often says no, but he's like, oh, you know, maybe I'll have a reason to this time. And he says, you know, I heard about the missing Percocet and tells her right off the bat he didn't take it. She doesn't even mention it to him. And he says, I know I've used up all my free passes with you, but I'm telling you the truth and I'm willing to prove it every day. And they have kind of a cute little like forehead boop moment, right? And they're like maybe about to kiss and then they're interrupted. Hi, Lizzie. And um, 
Yeah, they're interrupted, and that's kind of the last we get of that sequence. Not really much to it. Um, I forehead booped her for the poster <laughs> album. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is kind of where we leave Max and Anna as far as their threat. I'm pretty I think. sure this is like, it's where we leave Max I think this Max is the last. Sure. This is where we leave Max. I know Anna has one more like minor thing we're going to get yeah. to, but like this is where we drop Max and Anna as a story. Yeah, spoilers line. for a few minutes from now. It's fucking weird, and we're all having yeah, a bit of an existential crisis about it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get there. Um... But then we go, Carter goes to check on Miss Lang and Bill, and they are gone. Carol is, uh, you know, turning the room, you know, cleaning off Bill's bed and everything. And it turns out Miss Lang signed him out to another hospital a while ago. And Carol just kind of remarks, we never know what happens to people when they leave here. Because Carter was asking, like, oh, are they going to get him treated? Are they going to, like, what are they, what are they doing? And Carol's like, I don't know. We don't know what happens. Yeah. We don't get to know. Which is a very real sentiment for er workers like jen yeah, jen expresses that like... quite a bit like that people come in they 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 get to the point where they're either no longer dying or or you know dead <laughs> and then that's it you know there's never any follow-up um and then jerry is complaining at the desk about a persistent car alarm for a car parked in the ambulance bay foreshadowing hmm Mm. Is it foreshadowing if it happens the next two minutes? Kind of. I don't know. I like it. I like it a lot. I do. It's really good. And let's go over to our final audio clip of season four. Doug is gives Carrie and Mark uh, the report about Josh McNeil. Mark, Carrie, this is the accident report on Josh McNeil. If you want to go over anything, you mean like uh, maybe why you lied to me? Well, you wouldn't have understood, Mark. It's it's only yeah. Well, you didn't really give me a chance. You know what? You? Take it outside. We got work to do. Doctor Weaver, if you're no longer acting chief, who do I give these budget review forms to? I'll take them. This kid was more important. You've always got a patient excuse to hide behind. No, he's necessary. I'm willing to go out on a limb. Go out on a limb? You keep the whole tree with you this time. I was trying to support you. Become the chief defending, Mark. You were never going to support me if you meant giving up that much authority. Well, we'll never know now, will we? Because you do what you always do. You go after something you want, and when you're just about to get it, you sabotage it. Is that what you're so angry about? I'm not angry, okay? I'm disappointed. You like being disappointed in me, Mark. It validates the fact that you are the adult and I'm a screw-up. You never wanted to grow up. You don't want me to grow up. You like our friendship the way it is. We go out, we have a couple of beers, we come here, you're the boss. And for good reason, based on your actions. Based on your inability to see me as an equal, Mark. It was bad enough when Carrie stepped out. I supported her in that. You supported her on the surface, yes. Underneath, you resented her. Like you resent what I'm doing with Josh McNeil. There's a lot there. Mm-hmm seasons worth of uh, development for Doug and Mark there. Someone's having some feelings. I like how he tries to like score a zinger with Mark by sort of quasi defending Carrie a little bit too even though him and Carrie are like oil and water like it's an interesting way to approach that. Yeah for sure. Also anybody hear that car alarm? Yep. I like I really like that as a foreshadowing tool. They do they do a great job with it in the background. It's not, it's like, it's there, but it's not oppressively in your ears, but you definitely are like, Yeah, it's, huh, it's just there enough a, that you can ignore it. Yeah. Also, it bothered me at first that they were standing outside and, like, not even getting remotely wet, and then I realized that that mm-hmm, awning the, the little by the ambulance bay is a little bit further out, and I was like, okay, that makes sense. But if it if they had been dripping wet, it would have been, like, a scene in the notebook where it's just like, tell me you love me. I also liked the uh, latest edition of Carrie Weaver as Lauren bit, where she's like, she's like, <laughs> I don't, since you don't do this thing anymore, who do I give this to? And she thinks about it for a minute, and she's just like, I'll take it. 
Like, which is such a Lauren thing of like, I don't do this thing anymore and I'm never doing this thing ever again. Five minutes later, who's going to do this thing? I'll do it. <laughs> Lauren looks like she wants to cry. I'm so ready for vacation. Do you ever, do you ever at somebody so hard that they cried? Oh God! Yes, that's yep. That's that's my life right now. It sure is. I'm learning how to say no, and it's, it's very hard. Hard, but liberating. So uh, we we come back inside the ER where Carol goes to give Mark something and sees Mr. Nable, the hand laceration patient from earlier, sitting over in chairs, and she goes to check on him and discovers he is covered in blood. Turns out that the car alarm, the source of the car alarm, uh, is his parked outside and he pulls out a revolver and gives it to carol and she has genie stay with him and hands the gun to jerry which ill-advised uh and has him call security and then runs outside uh with doug and mark but what does he say yeah he says there weren't enough bullets cryptically this is so this is almost like a carbon copy of last episode where like the first 75 80% of this episode has been pretty ho hum, pretty, you know, unremarkable and then it shifts into this like insane gear to end the episode. It's it's really jarring. Um so there's a woman and two kids in the car. Woman is barely breathing, shot in the neck, and one of the uh, kids is shot in the abdomen. Uh, Yosh and Jeannie move Mr. Nable to a room away from the family and post security outside the door. Uh, whole team's working to unload the family from the car, and we get a, a cool little shot as they all get moved onto tables. This is all a ve- this is ha- all happening super fast, very frenetic. Uh, lots of very fast trauma stuff going on here, but but an excellent dramatic score underneath, complimenting being complimented by all the diegetic sounds of the room. Like it's. Like this is the one part of the the episode that I feel like truly works on all levels. Like this this is the part of the episode that's hitting on all cylinders. Yeah, this is one where if we were to really try and break down everything that's happening in all three of these trauma rooms, we would be here for yeah. four hours. It's one of those scenes that like you just have to watch and experience to really get the feel for. Uh, and with Mrs. Nabel, it looks like the bullet missed any bullet missed any major vessels, uh, but the little boy is not communicating. Uh, he has poor air sounds on his left and he's bleeding out and he has no pulse fun yeah i tried to really just get the highlights for these traumas because there's so much information coming so quick but um genie is with mr nabel and he says i turned the gun there weren't any more bullets and he's we should also point out too like he is a complete 180 from how he was earlier in the episode yeah he is shaken he is like dissociating glassy-eyed very clearly just not great bob Mm. um and then carter and anna are arguing over the best course of action for how to stabilize amy and get her good to go and carrie steps in and starts talking to amy and she says why did my daddy have a gun i thought we were just going to talk to someone so he loaded presumptively this means he loaded them all in the car and said they would all drive to the hospital together and then they parked outside and he shot all three of them and went to shoot himself Am I right? And like that's oh, yeah. the understanding I mean, you guys had of how, the situation how else too. Could have worked. Yeah, I mean, ugh. I mean, he could have shot them, then loaded them into the car in a moment of regret. Yeah. So it could have gone either way. But based off what she says here, it makes me it makes me feel like they got in the car and then got drove shot. here to, th- yeah. Mm. 
uh, Mark and Doug are, are working together on the little boy. It, amazing bit of work here too, which one of our listeners uh, outlines in much better detail uh, in the listener responses. So we'll get to that. Um, but just how they like let all of the drama and all of the conflict of the events of not only this episode, but last as, episode as well, uh, just kind of fade into the background because the priority is this trauma and this family and trying to, to help them it's really just diving in head first. Um, mom has an injured spinal cord. They're taking her up to CT and uh, in, in kind of a converging shot, like they're following mom. And then all of a sudden the gurney for Amy, the daughter just kind of appears uh, being led by Anna also to the elevators. Mm -hmm. And this right here marks the final appearance of Anna Delamico, much like Hicks way back at the beginning of the season uh, gets into an elevator and then is never seen again, which really fucks all three of us up in the head. <laughs> like, yep. You two far more than me. Yeah. Me and Lizzie, especially that like there is a, there's a real like Berenstein, Berenstein bears situation going on here because we both remember Anna having a, a more definitive ending than this because th this is and essentially a Bob. And it's definitely Berenstein, not Berenstein. Just saying. Sure. Factually, I know that's wrong, but. But this is this is bizarre. Like, I feel like I, I, after I watch. It's not functionally a Bob. It is a Bob. Well, it yeah. Bob. I, say, I only say it functionally because there is going to be a throwaway bit of dialogue in, I believe, the season five premiere that explains her exit. Um, like oh. he, I think, because I think Lucy inherits her locker and. Oh, Car she yeah, asks yeah, about it right. like or something and carter just says oh yeah she went back to philadelphia to be with her boyfriend or something and so it's very like so and i also got a little bit of background i've i've already started doing some of the research work for our bonus episode that we're going to do on delamico for patreon and without giving a ton of stuff away we i i'll say i because i have the one that keeps bringing it up i may have been a little bit wrong shocker about the nature of her exit in the sense that like this was something that was n known on both sides at this point like i still am of the opinion based on everything i've read that it was a mutual decision between the two of them like between the the mm -hmm. creative side of things the production side of things and maria bello it was, still sounds like it was a mutual decision on both sides but it sounds like that decision did not get made officially until after season four had wrapped. So, because ah. um, it sounds like based on some of the things I was reading, there was still some, I think they knew that she was, you know, for all intents and purposes done. Um, but there was, I guess, still some conversations being had over the summer about the possibility of her doing a handful of appearances in season five to give her character a more satisfying ending than just going into an elevator and disappearing forever. Um, so obviously that didn't happen. That didn't come to fruition. Uh, but it does sort of give a little bit bigger, larger context to kind of some of the things we've been seeing overall, which we, we've kind of been looking at Delamico through the lens of, well, everybody knows this is a failure and this is, you know, this is done at the end of the season. That wasn't really the case. They There was at least some hope at this point that she would continue on, even if it was in a limited capacity, maybe a la Doyle you know, just kind of showing up here and there. Um, but like I said, we'll, we'll get into that in more detail uh, on the bonus episode. But yeah, I have this in my mind. 
when I think of Annadelle Miko leaving ER, I still, I don't believe this. I actually don't believe this. <laughs> Is this I, something we're going to get more into when we do the bonus episode? I believe I'm fully being gaslit by the two people. My, by we my all watched it, though. And like, actually, and, and presumably from different sources. One more, like, that there's actually one more scene. We watched it on Hulu. And I watched it on we, my file actually, on my computer. So, like, we've watched it from two different sources and got the same ending. Do you want to watch it on the DVDs too, just to make That's sure? The only thing sure. I can think of is that maybe but, there's a deleted scene. Is the only thing. But that there's one. But that there's a scene because. Okay, so I'll go into this in in just a second. The rest of the episode is they get a rhythm with Steven. They're sending him up to the, sending him up to the OR. There's some really cool cinematography. It's essentially the end. Of, like <laughs> I, the whole time I was watching this, I was watching the little bar at the bottom of my player go down, and I'm like okay guys we have like 30 seconds left of this episode and i know credits are included in this so i'm like how that she has a goodbye she delamico is not a bob how does this happen and then an episode just ends and i was like what yeah so episode ends it's a really cool shot definitely go this is one this is one of those episodes that needs to be watched to be fully appreciated and we're not doing it nearly enough justice this i'm gonna say before we go into delamico this made me really appreciate this the this made me really appreciate the steady cam mm-hmm. choreography because when you think that that steady cam operator is walking backwards down the hallway and they have that janitor coming right in front of him with the mop right, right afterwards it's just like the stuff that they have to watch out for as they're coming down those hallways so good so it's well a, done shout it's out to it's a seamless work. audio transition too um because mm-hmm. they start off obviously in the room and green is i think yeah, it's green the, who's talking and they start off in the room with him and he's clearly that audio is clearly coming from his lips from a boom mic yeah. over top of him. And they pull back yeah. far enough that there is no possible way that he is still mic'd. So they yeah. did a switch halfway through that tracking shot. They did a switch from live mic to ADR and it's seamless. Like you could not yeah. tell where it changed. It still sounds like you're in the room hearing him talk. And I'm yeah. so like impressed with that. Okay, I'm sorry. Go back to Delamico. No, please. it's okay. I distinctly have this this memory. I don't know. I, my my memories aren't, aren't as expensive. As, is, aren't as specific as yours, but I I also have memories that there's more to this. Something like I remember there being a scene with her be, fe, looking and feeling all strung out, like that she took the Percocet and that she's actually a closet drug addict, and. That like no like and she's out by a taxi because she's because she quit because because Carter caught her. Okay, yeah, that I don't it. remember. <laughs> and and like I distinctly remember there being some p- parting words and it, it not ending in the actual thing, but it's, but Carter it's being it's Carter being like what the fuck I Anna how could you not tell me this <laughs> Can I tell you something I think your brain just filled that in because it's such a wet fart of a goodbye. I, I guess. Yeah, I definitely, re- like, like my thing is, like, I definitely, which I, I'm realizing now that what my brain did was substituting um, the end of, I think, episode 20, where when Max first mm. shows up and he shows up in a cab mm. and him and Anna are talking on the sidewalk outside. To me, I guess, you know, in the haze of 331 episodes, like my brain just substituted that as the ending for Delamico mm-hmm. because that's sort of what I had in my head that they had a like kind of heated conversation outside. She was like, you know, I just don't think this is going to work out. Meaning, you know, her and Carter as a romantic item, which also I feel like I've been like gaslit about as well, because I also felt like that was more of a thing than it was because really when it boils down to it, it, 
really comes down to like one or two moments in passing. And it wasn't the rest of the time. Yeah, they were actually just a really solid, uh, yeah. solid friendship. Once she forgave him. So yeah. I, I, I feel like there's so much about this character that is wholly out of line with what my perception of it was going in. Like, I just... It, and that's part of why I'm so excited to spend a whole episode talking about her because it's she's so fascinating to me in the kind of the ER hierarchy because she's probably the character or the cast member that is in the actual main cast credits like the the, the intro who has the least amount of impact on the entire story of the 15 seasons like she makes it into the into that intro sequence and there's characters that don't that have far greater impacts. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm going to say this, Lizzie and I were talking this morning about how little of the show I actually remember aside from like key plot points. And I, once she, once she put it in perspective for me that I've only actually done one watch through of the show, which was a few years ago. And aside from that, I had only seen like bits and pieces of the beats when my sister mm-hmm. would watch. And all of a sudden my whole joke about like, I remember nothing makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Like yeah, I really only have seen this show through. I mean, yeah, I do. Once, I do too. So. Like I, I watched the whole thing through one time, and then I've picked and chose, you know, other ones here and there. But as far as what, what the fuck is my problem? I just then? this <laughs> this has really thrown me for a loop. Like I, sure. I, I just I I distinctly remember her having some kind of ending. I did not think it was this yeah. where it was just a bob. Listeners, I'm really curious. What false ER memories do you have? <laughs> right. What do you what What do you remember about the series that, as you go back and watch through it, it never never matches up? Because this Happened. to me is like total mind fuck. This is, I was shook after watching this. Other than that, perfectly solid season finale. Gets you amped yeah. for next it's, season. Yeah. Gets you t- resolves a lot of stuff. You know, leaves a lot of little pro- plot plot threads. Plot threads, <laughs> plot threads, hanging for for season five. I mean, a lot of stuff that really wasn't addressed. That's gonna kind of come into play yeah. a lot more in season five. But I think we'll get there. But I don't know. I, it's a solid eight out of ten. I think me. it's um yeah. by the standard of what some other season finales will be later on. I think it looks rather quaint, like. <laughs> It is, it, is, it is when you think about this and then you think about right. Rampage. Okay, Rampage. Which isn't, which isn't even that far off. I mean, I know that was, we always joke about how when they got past like, you know, 11, 12, that was when it got really ridiculous where every season finale was something silly, you know, like aggressively silly um, or dramatic. But like this seems so quaint by comparison to even just a Rampage, which is only a few seasons away. Um, That to me, as I was watching it, I felt like this was an episode 21. Like this was I like I feel like we should have pushed everything back one episode. Like this should have been the this should have been the penultimate episode of season 4 and there should have been one more after this that was more dramatic and had more um because there's not really a ton of cliff not that every season finale has to be a cliffhanger but there's not really a ton in terms of cliffhangers with this the Doug thing is the thing that has the most potential to be a cliffhanger going into season five but they kind of resolve it in the moment to the point where you're not really that worried that Doug's going to lose his job before season five begins yeah like they say there's going to be an investigation and everything but you're not too concerned because Anspaugh seems to be on his right Anspaugh doesn't seem that concerned about it Carrie you know, in her moment of frustration is concerned about it, but then kind of loses track of it with 
everything else that happens. So there's just not really a ton. And, and I think that's kind of reflected in our listener responses too, where like, you know, all season long, we've been getting these great responses about it. And then we get to the season finale and we ask for listener responses and it was like pulling teeth. Like people were like, you know, like, I think it was Jen T that was like, I just watched this the other day. And she's like, I got nothing. Like, yeah, I love it's, that. it's not, it's not, it doesn't feel like a season finale. It's not a bad episode. It's a great episode, but right. it just doesn't feel like no, a like, season I'd, finale to me. I'd, I'd watch it again for those last 10 yeah, minutes. No, no, yeah. It, it's it, to me, it's almost a, a, it's a more serious, you know, cause we didn't have the, the fun televangelist subplot. It's a more serious right. A carbon copy of 21 like we just did 21 again a little differently and I feel like there should be I feel like there should have been one extra episode that really like pushed the tip but that's also just me kind of wanting to I'm realizing now as I'm going through this that like I'm applying a lot of modern television rules to Mm -hmm. 90s television you know I'm I'm applying the like 13 episode every episode is a cliffhanger every episode makes you want to start the next one immediately kind of formula to a show that's going to be much more gradual and much more of a slow burn so but also this as we continue to go through this I'm amazed at how much modern tv rules this does follow Mm -hmm. it does not it's we're a season four and it still does not feel dated that's a very good point Lauren what the listeners have to say uh, Franner W starts us off with Peter so concerned with being cool. Elizabeth not giving two shits. It will never last. <laughs> and Aaron B chimes in with one of the most incredible things about this episode is the car alarm. You faintly hear it in the background nearly 10 minutes before the shocking reveal and you don't realize its significance until it's staring you in the face. Great use of ambient noise as a foreshadowing tool. And the other is more like two minutes. Like it's, it's it, 10 minutes is kind of a stretch. Like it's, I it, timed it out. Like it's more like two or three minutes, but he makes a good point. It can, it can feel like 10 with how they, how they kind of telescope in on it. But then the other half of his comment is the other thing I love about the episode is the conclusion. It reminds me so much of the series finale in the sense that life in the ER goes on despite the internal conflicts of its members. Watching Doug, Mark, Carrie, and all rally to save this family, laying down their arms for just a moment, watching Peter work when you know his mind is on Reese. It was beautiful. Yeah, I think that's a good comparison. Like, the the, yeah. the this and the series finale. Like, they had definitely a lot of parallels. All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash Tone podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. For only $5 a month, you can get a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews, and over a dozen hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a bonus show called The Lounge, where we talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and the world at that moment, movie reviews, where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and flash forwards, where we do a commentary track for future ER episodes. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, And we are at Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Say in the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can feed... Folks can feed you? I mean, they can. Folks can find me on my personal Twitter at lobob92345. Lots of cats, wrestling, and video games. 
And you can also find me on Twitter. I am at RandomGamer. That's J-A-M-3-R. As well as on the Popular Quartz YouTube channel doing a Let's Play of Mass Effect Legendary Edition. New episodes of that are out every Friday. And you can find those videos and much more, including Daniel losing his mind, at YouTube.com slash court. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time for the Season 4 recap. And have a great week. Bye.